What's up, my confidence queens? Are you ready to feel confident as fuck? I'm your host, the confidence queen herself, Alicia Lechuga, and I am your confidence bestie. I went from trying to shrink my body in order to find happiness and approval to finally letting go of dieting, others' opinions, and inspiring hundreds of women along the way. This podcast is all about confidence, living unapologetically as yourself daily, and ultimate self-love. This is Confident as Fuck. Let's do it. Welcome back to Confident as Fuck. I am here with Eden. I am so excited to be talking to her. We've actually already chatted before on like a little virtual coffee date, which was her idea, which I loved. Um, But Eden is a shadow alchemist, helping highly sensitive beings liberate their untapped magnetism and embody their soul mission. I had to write that down because that is so many large words, but I'm going to obviously have you explain that to us and dissect it with us. But I'm so happy to have you here. We met because of Chelsea, which Chelsea helps me meet so many people, her energy and her reach is so magnetic. So if you guys don't know Chelsea, the sabotage queen, I'll have her linked down below in the show notes as well, as well as Eden, but everybody welcome Eden to the podcast. Thank you for coming. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, that's a mouthful. As you read it, I was like, wow, that's a little, every word is just like a hit or two. It's <laughs> it really gets you in your feels. You're like, oh my God. Okay. Highly sensitive. That's me. Liberate. Yes. Untapped magnetism. <laughs> yes. Embody soul mission. Like, fuck, that's a lot of it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So yeah. I love listen to your own words. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So basically in the plainest words, I help people who have blocks digest those blocks. I I like to think of it as a digestion process of dissolving the, I call them like contracts that we hold within our nervous system that says, oh, when I step out of this pattern that I'm so used to being in, that's so familiar to me where I um, silence my own needs. When I step over that threshold, that triggers a response. And basically I help people dissolve those invisible fences or those contracts that we're all holding, which is essentially just our programming, um, so that they can liberate who they really are. Cause I believe that in our core, we all are magnetic. We are, you know, whole, I, I was going to say perfect when we're, we're obviously imperfectly perfect, but we all have, we all have something going on. We all have a unique song to sing a unique flavor and unleashing that essence is so beautiful and magnetic. You mentioned Chelsea, you know, perfect example of someone who so self-expressed. And so, yeah, I help people figure out like what is preventing me from embodying that. And a lot of times people will have specific goals, like manifesting an emotionally available partnership or leaving a toxic relationship that they, for some reason, they can't seem to do. There's, there's blocks there. So we, we go into the, the dark stuff. I, not the dark stuff to scare anyone, but I call <laughs> well, the shadows, right? <laughs> the shadows. Yeah. And within my little, a little friend group that I have, you know, I'm known as like, I am the person who will tell you, oh, well, what is this? How does this stem back to your childhood? Whenever they are like, uh, what's going on in my life? Like I'm the person will be like, oh, let's go all the way to the wound. And that just comes really naturally to me. It's, it's a blessing and a curse, but that's sort of my expertise. It's funny. I, I get that now too. Like sometimes people will be like, okay, like, I feel like I'm in a therapy session. My sister says that all the time. My mom, 
my mom now even comes to me and she's like, okay, I'm ready for a counseling session. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's dig in. But it's like you said, it it can be like a blessing and a curse. And sometimes it's like, you have to kind of like step out of that and then be like, okay, let me just listen. At least that's what I've had to learn. A hundred percent. It's it's interesting because that's how I figured out that I was good at this. I was always a space holder in my relationships or with the therapist. And it's definitely tough because you don't want to be holding space for everyone all the time. And it's something I, I have a really hard time turning it off. Like I have to turn it off and be like, oh, I'm just listening. I can let this roll off me. If I hear something, I don't have to, you know, some of that is almost like a a knee jerk reaction of like, oh my gosh, I have to help this person. Or I hear something like it. And yeah, it's interesting to, to just let that go and, and not take on that role. It's definitely also a self-care practice to not take that on. That's something that I'm really working on within like my family relationships and like close um, relationships, not close as in like friends, but yeah, like trying to turn it off and just listening and then also not taking it on or feeling a sense of like, well, I could, I can say this and I have so much knowledge I can help and knowing like, you know what, like, I don't have, I don't have to help. Like, I don't need to help at this point. And, or I've done enough help or I've tried it, you know, it's, it's a whole thing, but yeah. Um, I want you to first, before we do, um, our confidence and our weekly fave, but can you describe or define uh, shadow alchemy? for people who don't know? Yes. So great question. So shadow is, I like to describe shadow, our shadow, we all have it. It's like a universal archetype. It comes from Jungian psychology. And it's this idea that we have this part of us that exists outside of our consciousness. It's not within our awareness. We identify more with our ego. We we identify with, oh, I'm such a nice, good person. But then we might have this shadow and in our shadow, we might subconsciously feel like, oh, I'm, what if I'm a bad person, for example? So alchemy just means to transform. And essentially you can't get rid of your shadow, meaning you can't get rid of your shame. You can't get rid of these dark, quote unquote, scary parts of you. You can't get rid of your powerful emotions that you might be repressing, but you can integrate them. You have to transform them. You have to transform your relationship to that part of you. And so That's essentially what I teach people is how to come into relationship with their darkness, how to come into relationship with their, you know, quote unquote, negative emotions that they might not be feeling or with a part of themselves that they have so been burying or in denial about from their self, from themselves and to others. So that's sort of what shadow alchemy is. It's a process of stripping away the layers of shame that we have. And what we don't realize is that those layers of shame, that's what caps our magnetism. So that flow of life force that I was talking about, that flow of magnetism, that flow of the unique song that we're each all singing, we have that power within us. I believe we all already have, you know, the potential to have what we desire to be worthy, to feel connected to a higher power, to feel fulfilled. But it's all these, this shame that we internalize throughout our lives that starts slowly to cause us to close up or hide a certain part of myself or to believe, wow, when I expressed 
how outgoing I was and I was shut down, that taught me it's not safe for me to embody who I really am. And all that is like, I call them these potholes that form or these, they go into the darkness and it's like, whatever percentage of us is in the darkness, that's the percentage of our power that is untapped. It's literally the percent of our personal power that's not available to be used to manifest or to create the life you want, or to just simply feel fulfilled and at home within yourself. So shadow alchemy is the process of journeying into those parts of ourselves with so much love and so much acceptance, which really is the antidote to shadow. It's acceptance and forgiveness and compassion. And bringing that love and that compassion to these parts of ourselves that at their core, when we strip away all this scary fear that we have, it's just a, it's just an abandoned inner child who had an emotional need, who needed to be witnessed, who needed to be told, it's not your fault, who needed to be told, I love you for who you are. That's literally all it is. And so that is shadow alchemy. I love your definition. And it's so needed. Like, you said like underneath it all is really just a child who needs something, right? Love, acceptance, whatever it may be, validation. Um, And I think we can all relate to that. And I think if you are listening and maybe you're new to this type of work or any type of like self growth stuff, that's this like advanced. I think the easiest way that I can ever like describe feeling this is like when you start to do something or you um, have a feeling where you're like proud of yourself or you're starting to like show up um, really authentically or um, even like the most simple way is like when you start to dance or like show who you really are in a public setting or around others or even by yourself, I guess. And then you almost shut that down. and. I remember I went on a girl's trip with, um, um, Michelle and, um, Grizel, which you guys know, they've been on the podcast as well through the early episodes, but we went on this girl's trip and, um, we were doing, it was a Lionsgate portal and we were doing, um, some manifesting and, um, like all the things. And, uh, Michelle said like kind of offhand, but kind of serious was like, you have such a dark, like being with you. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, we're like, I was like, whoa, like, and, but when she said it, like it didn't, I knew exactly what she meant. Like I knew exactly what she was talking about because this part of me was still living in that darkness. Like you talk about where even though I had, I had done so much work and I was like being more myself and I was more outgoing and more in my own being but then part of me would want to go back into that. And I can like vividly remember, you know, times where I'm like, you know, feeling it and like I'm letting go and then boom, like you just want to shut it off or like you get a little too much attention or something like that, too much good attention. And you're like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. So if you're new to any of the stuff that we're talking about, that's the best way that I can kind of describe what it would feel like for what Eden is talking about for myself, from my own perspective. So, um, I hope that did it justice, but (laughs) yeah, that's such a good example and metaphor to highlight what it's like, because I think everyone can relate to that experience of, I like to say that fulfillment is giving of your true essence. So whether that's 
you're in a conversation with a friend and you really share your whole heart. Like everyone's had that experience where you, you really say how you feel or you start crying because it's so true what you're saying, or you are dancing or you're, you're playing a song or you're whatever your art or your expression might be. You're, you're, you're writing something. Um, we all know that feeling of fulfillment. And I think that's a feeling we're all craving. I love manifestation. And I also don't believe it's about getting anything external. You know, I think for me, my greatest thing that I was seeking in my life, in my own journey was that feeling of, of fulfillment, of radiance, of feeling my own essence and feeling that pour out of me. Cause I think we're all interconnected and it's like, there's this beautiful fabric of reality that we can all tap into but we can all have that memory. And then it's like, you're saying that set point that we have of, whoa, I just, I just opened up to a friend and then I start apologizing because all of a sudden I'm, I'm judging myself and I feel uncomfortable or I put myself on the internet. And then I'm like, oh my God, like I need to go back in. And part of that is completely normal because the process of, you know, integrating our shadow shadow alchemy is not a black and white thing. It's growing our capacity to, I, I like to think of it literally like our our body or physical being as like a mosaic. And there's like some tiles that are blacked out and those are like the shadow components. And we're just increasing the percentage of us that is integrated. And there's no end point. There's no, I'm fully done. It's a process of being human, but growing that capacity over time to, to stay embodied for longer. And a lot of that just has to do with like our physical body and our nervous system capacity, because all these things we're talking about of being expressed and being in our flow there, they are these heady or intellectual concepts, but the body takes longer to actually hold that. And we cannot rush that process. So yeah. <laughs> I I love how like it's so funny on a podcast, especially a virtual, where you're just like, okay, I'm done with this point and I'm passing it back. Yeah, um, I'm like, yeah, that I ran out of. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like such a it is like a heady concept, but I love that you mentioned like you're not you're never fully done. And I think even when you were leaps and bounds from where you were, there's still capacity to get better and to grow and like realizing, okay, like I had a little, like something that happened and I can take on more. And I think that's what my husband and I are going through right now. If you guys don't know, you guys listening to the podcast will know that Renee's dad is very sick. And, um, so there's a lot of energy around us, a lot of people coming in, a lot of family, friends, bringing a lot of, a lot of energy and a lot of people processing a lot of things. Um, and so before I was just telling him this week, I was like, before, um, a lot of that would have overwhelmed me and my nervous system. And I would have been like, Whoa, like I need, like, I can't, like, I need to take a full, like I would give way too much probably. And I would need to take like, you know, two weeks on do not disturb and not talk to anyone, but the ability, the capacity that I have has exponentially increased, over the last like two years where you can hold space for more people or even for yourself and it gets greater over time. Um, but there's still those moments, right. Where I still have to step back. But overall, what I'm really saying is that like, it's never fully done and you can increase that. So I think 
when I think about that, I think like, it's so exciting because when you're first on your spiritual journey or, you know, self-growth journey, we think we're going to get to this point where we're like enlightened and we're like, oh, like I'm there, I'm, I'm doing the thing. And you are to a point, but you're always still growing and you're always still opening yourself up to so much more, which is really exciting. So, um, I want to shift it to what did you do to make you feel confident this week? That's such a good question. I feel like I dressed in a certain way. (laughs) I literally just changed before this interview because I was like wearing, it's it's just so random and weird, but I feel like I've like, I dress different in when I'm in different moods. And I was like, oh, I'm in like a funky mood. Like I'm in a funky outfit today. Like this is one of my funky outfits. Like it's not my full embodied queen energy Mm -hmm. self. So I changed my clothes. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's huge because I just did a podcast with um, a stylist and she's really like uses style as her brand vehicle for confidence, embodiment. And it's really awesome to see. But we talked a lot about that, about how your clothes make you feel and how what makes you feel the most you, the most confident, the most whatever it may be. And like you said, like you have those outfits where you're like, this is a funky outfit. and I'm not feeling that way today, or I don't want to show up in that way to this podcast. So yeah, I love that. That is a huge piece of confidence because we don't always have to, especially when we're um, online and showing up, right? We feel like we, or at least I have felt like I need to show up in this certain way. Like this person would show up this way. But some days like today, I'm like black tea. I'm not doing anything different. Like, I don't need to change clothes in between the podcast recordings. Like, it just, it's me. Like, it's really about the other person is what I was really tapping into. But um, yeah, changing our clothes and changing our clothes with our mood, clothes with our moods can be really, really um, confidence boosting. It's actually amazing how much power it has. It's taken me a while to realize how much of an effect that has. Even colors, I'm getting really into color right now. And like your color palette and your complexion, everything like that. And it's fascinating. And even to your point of the podcast and being like, okay, this is about the other person. So you're wearing like a black top. That's, that's, that's powerful energetically. You know, that's saying a lot. Yeah. Because I usually try to show up with like pink or like something complimentary to the room. But then as I was editing some reels um, the other day, I'm like, I hardly even really show myself on the reels because usually the biggest point of the podcast is the other person's points. Like it's about them because they're on the podcast. So I'm like, I really don't even need to like be extra. Sometimes it's fun, but today I was like, okay, like we're just showing up and letting the other person shine. So, um, do you have a weekly fave? Okay. My weekly fave is gotta be Okay, it's going to sound weird, but I found this recipe on Instagram for, it's like you roast a whole head of cauliflower, you like drench it in olive oil, and then you roast it in the oven, and the outside gets like crispy and charred, and the inside is like soft and molten, and then you drizzle tahini on it. I think it's like a Mediterranean I've seen this. Have you seen this? I don't know if I've seen it recently, but it sounds very familiar, like the tahini. The tahini. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with it. That's my current fave top thing ever. Love that. How many times have you made it this week? (laughs) 
Well, I made once. it once, but then I ate it twice in the like because oh, yeah. I saved some. Okay. Um, we'll link the recipe down okay. below or the literally you gotta try it. Like it's a delicate when I eat it, I'm like, like I ate it for dessert last night because that's how good it is. <laughs> it's so good. Do you get like obsessed with stuff like that? Cause I do. I'm yeah. like, yep, I'm eating this for the rest of my life. I okay. that's literally what I do. And I do that with <laughs> clothes, I do it with food, I do it with everything drinks. I'm like, okay, I'm making this right now. This is my latte drink. Boom. And then it's like, I get done with it. And then I'm like, okay, a new one. Me too. What I always that? do that. I don't know. I, I, it could be like, sometimes I'm like, maybe this just doesn't mean anything. Maybe I just like it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think some of it, at least from previously for me was definitely like obsessive behavior of like, I'm so obsessed with this. Like I have to do everything. And I really resisted that a lot because my mom is, um, well, both my parents are addicts. So I was always like resisting the, or very aware, I guess, of the, um, addict type of tendencies, but now Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, like I'm not addicted to this coffee, this coffee creamer that I like. I just like it. Like, that is a great point because I don't, I feel like we get really get programmed with that. Like I definitely had the exact same thing. I was like, oh, this is my addictive personality. And like, I'm an addict and like, it's like, okay, that that's a real thing. But do we really need to take it there? Like, can, can I just want to eat yogurt every day for three weeks? For six months? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that deep, but you know, it's like being aware and, and our intention behind it. And like, uh, yeah, who says these are bad things, you know, like they're not bad things. <laughs> like could be much worse. Than being addicted and it's to like yogurt. simplicity. Like I can't plan yes. different meals for every day. Like that's just unrealistic for me. I need to, this is what I eat every day. I, yeah. I don't want to take the brain part. Maybe in a, a future time I'll have that space, but right now that's not what I want to focus on. So it's simpler to do. It's like a minimalist wardrobe. I don't have to think about it. Yeah, exactly. So it's like your intention behind it and what's like, what's really driving you. It doesn't have to be like, oh, well, I have this addict trait and I'm, I'm playing into it. And like, yeah, it's funny because it, when you get on like this certain like journey, or when you start like trying to uncover these things about yourself, you think like everything means something and I think to an extent for sure. But I think you also then get to this place where you're like a little bit more relaxed and you're like, okay, like it just is what it is. And it just, I'm having fun with this right now. And it's not anything. It doesn't have to be negative or any type of way. So I think that's yeah. a beautiful place to be. I'm really learning with that. Cause I, I have the tendency to be like, what does this mean? Like, what is it? Like <laughs> it's the blessing and the curse thing where I'm like, all right, why does me eating yogurt have to do with my childhood and my, what does this represent? <laughs> and what, it's like, okay, let's chill. Sometimes it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it is nothing, but um, yeah, it's like the, that work is so interesting because we, you, you really can go down like a huge rabbit hole with stuff yeah. and, and really start completely dissecting. I think who was talking about this? Someone was saying that, um, we can get into this, maybe it was in a book, but it was saying we can get into this um, repetitive pattern of like digging and digging and digging and digging and um, that that even can be more toxic too. 
and that sometimes it just we just have to like release it and let it go a hundred percent that's something I talk a lot about with my clients and myself (laughs) I talk about it with myself because yeah I think it's exciting when we start getting into I've seen for myself and my clients people that I know when we start realizing oh my gosh there's a reason why I'm stuck in this pattern like it can feel really exciting and you're like whoa, I opened the door and I, all this is coming to light and I can change it. Like I can change this by working through this. And then it's, it's like, oh, we fall into this paradigm where I have to fix myself before I can have what I want. Because at a certain point in time, that's true. A lot of times in point, a lot of points in time, that's true. Not that we need to quote unquote, fix ourselves how we want, but yeah, if you come from a background where you were raised by toxic parents, that's going to really inform the way you relate with people. And you might have some healing work to do to have the type of relationships that you want. And that's fine. And we all have those things, but it's knowing, okay, I'm doing this as a spot treatment. That's how I like to call it. I like to think that the universe will show us very blatantly when we need to do some inner work. And that will present itself in the form of something feeling really bad or wrong or something really not being the way we like it or our system really being activated. And then when that's not happening, we don't need to analyze ourselves. We don't need to be looking for a reason why, oh, the thing I want hasn't shown up yet. I'm going to start stressing about it. And then I'm going to go looking within myself because I must be doing something to call this in, you know? Yes. A hundred percent. Like, I think that is something with like manifestation or um, like law of attraction and all that stuff that can actually turn a little bit like negative and a little self, what's the word I want to use? Like self uh, shaming in a way where we're like, oh, I must have attracted this. I must have done something wrong. And then we have to like, again, fix something about ourselves and like, where did this come from? And sometimes like just, like I was telling um a client this week, she asked for advice on something like a big life move. And my whole, it's like being a coach, right? It's like, we're just essentially like asking people to, to look within. Like, it's just yeah. like, it's so funny that that is our job, but it's like, I was like, well, what, like, how do, how do both of those options make you feel and what feels right? And let's look at the actual like logistics, but let's also look at like, you'll know how it feels. You'll know. And once you're able to like remove all these different like layers of shame and, and whatever else, trauma, all these things, once you're able to kind of like remove those and Renee and I call this, my husband and I call this, um, um, chatter in the skull from like a speech that somebody did anyways, but, um, once you have like less chatter in your brain, right? Less chatter going on all the time, like this running dialogue. Once you have have less of that, it becomes really clear and you're very, you can be a lot more open to how do these things make me feel? And then your, your, the universe, the, your body, your physical um, being will tell you what feels right, what feels wrong, you'll know you'll very easily be able to like, okay, I realize like 
I didn't feel so great after I did that, or I didn't feel so aligned when I was, you know, in this, um, coaching container or while I was doing this podcast or whatever it may be. And you'll be able to feel it and you'll know like, okay, is that not right for me? Maybe I need to move to something else or like, how may I be feeling this? It's so beautiful when you can remove that chatter. Like that was the one of the biggest things I noticed when I really started to go like a lot deeper was my mind was not constantly running this track of self-shame. It's like so sad to think about, but I'm like, it really was just always, my ego was always like running all the time. And no wonder I was freaking exhausted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the way we are just programmed in this world to some degree, at least in the United States, which is where we live. Like, I remember having the same realization where I was just like, whoa, I'm not even, my like inner knowing is not even online. Like, I am fully just a series of like emotional reactivity and like should, the should voice. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's wild to to start tapping into that. And that is something I think that can be challenging and scary for people because it's scary to acknowledge what you really want. Like it's, it's scary to be like, oh, I'm going to stop listening to the should voice. I mean, I feel like people think, I mean, I, I have experienced this myself, for example, weight loss or losing weight or dieting. When you, when you finally stop listening to that restriction voice and that dieting voice, it's like, we think we're going to, the the ground's going to drop out beneath us. Like if I don't go to the gym or I don't, if I stop controlling myself, I'm going to explode. I'm going to lay on the couch for the rest of my life. Like we think we literally have to control ourselves and should on ourselves and abide by the inner critic to like exist. It's so interesting, you know? Uh, it's like this really warped view that we have of ourselves of like, I'm just this horrible, like uncontrollable person. And I thought that for years about myself, about dieting, about exercise and really about anything. Like I kept thinking, people would always tell me like, you're so organized. And I look around and I'm not organized, right? Is what I think. And I think like, oh my God, these people think I'm organized and I'm not. And like, oh my God, I just, you know, like if they really knew what my (laughs) podcast room looks like, right? And it's like we have this version of ourselves that we see that other people don't see. And then we feel like we have to control it. I feel like that we talked about that on our coffee chat too, is like when we let go of dieting and we let go of like this need to like, should go to the gym, should lose weight, should do this. It's like, by whose standards and like, why? And it just, yeah. It's like, why do we do that? Why do we continue to should, like you said, all over ourselves? So when you're doing this work with clients, what do you, what type of modalities do you use to remove that should or that conditioning voice of like, I need to do this, or I'm not, I'm, if I stop doing this, then I'm uncontrollable. And I'm like you said, I'm going to lay on the couch forever and, and eat, eat myself into oblivion basically. Well, that's a great question. One of my favorite topics. So I, I think of the should voice as the inner critic. I call it the inner critic and it's the, it's literally the voice of fear, but it's also, 
the inner critic is the wielder of our limiting beliefs. So we talk about those contracts, those invisible fences that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode that are literally so deeply interwoven into our actual tissues that's that literally it's like a this is not an explicit contract but it's it's the belief that we hold for example that if i'm loud i won't be accepted and therefore i won't be safe that's just an example because as a child we interpret our harmony that we're experiencing in our primary attachment relationship as a life or death life or death matter because it is so if I do something that maybe my caregiver wasn't even upset because of what I did, but maybe I was extra loud, you know, and then I, I get scolded, they're in a bad mood or they're really depressed or maybe it's really explicit. I'm going to form, I'm going to begin to form a belief that I can't be loud and be accepted and therefore it's not going to be safe. So that, that safe piece is so important because that's what makes it actually feel terrifying to put down the dieting, for example. So maybe that's like, if I let myself go even the slightest, or I, you know, am quote unquote lazy, I'm going to get a, a mean comment from someone and that to my system, like literally registers as unsafe. So to begin to unpack that, we, we first have to become aware and willing to accept that the should voice is not us. And one of the ways we can do that is by looking at whose voices does remind me of? And when you really track that thought and you really start asking the question, when did I first internalize that this was true? Like wh- what is the first memory I have of feeling this way? Usually people will volunteer an actual memory of when you really start asking the questions of, oh, this reminds me of my ballet teacher who I had, who I walked in one day and they looked at my stomach and said, what did you have for lunch? Like suck it in, you know, and they'll be able to feel that visceral sense of, whoa, my ballet teacher who usually is really doting on me turned on me today. And that was like, so traumatizing to me as an 11 year old or whatever it might be. And from there, we can then start to revisit that 11-year-old. And that's where the inner child work comes in. We can say, wow, how did that make you feel? Because underneath every should thought is a shadow. Underneath every feeling that, oh my gosh, I can't be lazy, right? There's shame. It's shame. That was one of my big shadow words when I was unpacking my body image was like lazy. There was this shame that I am a lazy slob. Like that's one of the things that I can internalize. Once we can get past that and we can start to bring compassion to the part of us, the the past version of us who was in this memory where this actually got laid down, we can start to have compassion for her and say, whoa, that girl in that memory, she was not a lazy slob. She was just sad and using food to comfort herself. Or she was just you know, fear and in a freeze nervous system state. So she didn't want to move from the couch or whatever it might be. And that is so powerful. And that's when people have these extremely healing releases where they can see where this actually comes from at the root and begin to bring compassion to that part of themselves. And from there, it's like, poof, like that, that thought no longer has power over me because really what's under that thought, that's just my inner child, a very terrified version of my inner child still running from an old memory. It's like they are still running 
from that one day in ballet class of realizing, oh my gosh, I can never look like I'm not doing anything. I can never look like I'm lazy or not trying. That's all that is, you know? Yeah. It's crazy how those like one instances start to form that thought or start to form that like, mm, like, yeah, I guess thought. Um, like I, there's another word I want to use, but I can't find it, but they start to form that belief about ourselves and then, um, it compounds and compounds. And then we almost as Chelsea, um, teaches in one of her courses, we start to look for things that now support that thought. And that's one of the biggest things I, I use in my teachings too, is like, okay, are we using this to support that thought about ourselves? And when I realized that, and then I like alchemized it, I was like, holy shit. Like my, like I had this crisis, existential crisis where I was like, (laughs) um, I feel like my whole life has been a lie. Everything I have ever believed about myself or believed about my childhood was a lie. I I built it all on this one or two different instances. And then I told myself that story for the rest of my life. And then I used everything else to fucking support it. It's really wild what our brain will do. It's wild. It's so wild. And in this book, The Body Keeps a Score, I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. The author talks about this emotional and perceptual map and how if our brains are wired for, if we have in those formative years of life, these this experience where we need to be on eggshells for getting a mean comment or whatever it is, our brain is literally wired for defensiveness and protection and relationships aren't safe, which is just makes me like have chills and feel so much compassion for myself and others because we are literally walking around like fearing people and life and relationships. And it's literally because of this map in our brain. And I just had this experience firsthand, which is why I'm so passionate about this work of transforming that map, you know, and integrating those shadows and like it doesn't happen overnight, but you really can begin to perceive that reality is not this scary place or life is not this terrible thing filled with blocks and filled with suffering and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, there really is a beauty to this life. Like it really is abundant and beautiful and amazing and people are incredible. And it's just like, if you're operating on a certain plane or consciousness, like you're just not able to see that, you know? For sure. Yep. That's exactly what's happening. Um, it's probably happening to everyone on some level. Like everyone knows someone that's operating in that way, but it's, it's interesting once you do the work in yourself and then you're able to see it in others, like really, really clearly. And you're like, Oh, okay. And like you said, it gives you a lot of compassion. Um, I think that really, really healed a lot of my relationship with my family on on my end, right? And and together, but allowed me like, okay, I see what's happening. Like I see what's happening. I see what's going on in your brain. I see where that's coming from. I and 
I feel, I feel compassion for you. And like, it, it almost takes away that, like, for me, at least it took away a lot of anger, frustration, a lot of like combativeness. Um, and it, it relaxed me so much. So, um, anybody who's like, this work sounds scary and it sounds like a lot, and it sounds like a lot of different layers it is, but I always say like, what's on the other side is so much better because it doesn't only affect how you are feeling within yourself and about yourself, but it also affects your relationships with your relationships with others and also the way that you see them. It's, it's profound. So speaking of work and this work, um, when you are doing like shadow work with a session and what a shadow work with a client in a session and you start to uncover these things and you start to like dig up some of these things, right? Do you work with someone for a long period of time doing this? Or is this something that you also like start doing in smaller containers? Or is it like, okay, if someone wants to like get into this, they have to do it for a while. That's a really good question. And I think it depends on the person and where they're coming from. I think if they have no experience, they're diving into this for for the first time, I would recommend expecting to spend some time working with someone to really get it because it's not something that can happen in one session or in one little moment. If this is your first complete exposure to anything of this kind, like it might take a minute, but I think that for people who are somewhat in a practice of feeling their emotions and have a little bit of awareness, I think it can be really easy to drop in. Like my clients that I've been working with for a while or her, or who have even just followed my content for some time, I can hop on one call and we can be having a a breakthrough of a moment. I, I don't think it has to be complicated or take a lot of time. I think we can, it's, it's literally a total paradox because on the one hand, the mind and the things our mind does to bury this stuff and to confuse us takes so much focus and complexity and nuance to, I mean, you know, as a coach, what that's like to like, to help someone feel like layers. But on the other hand, really this work that we're talking about to me is as simple as feeling your emotions. It's like, what's getting in the way of you feeling the most tender, raw, true part of yourself. So when you know, when you start to know how to access that and you start to build that relationship to what I like to call the inner child, I can just be in my car and start speaking from my inner child and within moments be released or working through whatever I worked through. It doesn't have to be this whole thing. But I think for people who are not comfortable dropping into their emotions for so many valid reasons because we've been programmed not to feel them and to judge them and to feel shame about them. It can take some more time. Does that answer the question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think it goes back to like, are you open to, to doing it yet? And that, so that was my next question is like, most people who work with you, are they, they're already like, obviously if they're working with you and they're dropping into something that you're offering, they're going to be somewhat open, right. To working on this stuff and opening it up. But 
most people that work with you, are they at that level where they're like, okay, I'm ready to dig into this? Or do you find that some people have resistance? Most people are ready, I would say, because most of the people I work with who come into my world, come into my world from my podcast or something along those lines. So they're already getting a whole education in shadow work and all of this. So they're mostly willing. I also think a lot of the people who I work with, they're very willing because they're at that pain point that they're really tired of. And that makes people very motivated to be willing to start feeling things when they're already feeling bad. You know, they're like this, I don't like how things are. So of course I'm willing to, and I've been spent enough time, you know, trying to deal with it or not dealing with it. It's like, this is not that scary anymore. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Renee and I were talking about this too. Like when does that shift happen for someone where they are ready to be open or ready to start looking at it, ready to like look in the mirror, ready to like get honest and, and open that up. And he was saying like, it doesn't have to be a rock bottom, but it's almost at that point where you're like, okay, like if I don't fix this, then what happens? And, or I'm tired of feeling like this all the time type of vibe. So it doesn't have to be like a dramatic rock bottom is what you're, I think saying, but you have to be at least somewhat where you're willing to feel different and want to feel different. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, unfortunately, I I think, yeah, because change is so hard. I feel like I recently heard something about this from a neuroscience perspective, but I can't recall it, but just that like, we would literally rather keep going in the same way. Like it takes so much to really be like, wow, okay. And that usually means something really not being <laughs> copacetic. But I yeah. think that I, I also believe that our thresholds for rock bottoms raise over time. So it's like now I recognize that rock bottom energy so much faster. I would never let a relationship or a job or a situation go to a point that was like my previous rock bottom. Like I, you know what I mean? That emotional intelligence grows, that tolerance for change grows. So that's fortunate and hopeful. Yeah, for sure. Like you might hit, may hit what is a rock bottom now, but then like once you start working, you're not going to hit that same type of energy again if you are still working and being cognizant, right? You're not going to hit the same type of rock bottom or the same type of energy. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge. It's funny. Like you said um, earlier, um, being ruled by your emotions, I think is you referenced your emotions, emotional reactivity. And I feel like that is such a huge piece of this work too, is our emotions and those ruling us. We were, Renee and I were speaking about this too. And I was reflecting back and I'm like, oh my God, I used to literally be so like emotionally reactive and ruled by my emotions. So can you kind of speak on, on that and adjusting that? Yeah. I think people, I feel like people kind of fall on one or another end of a spectrum where some people 
completely don't live by their emotions. They're completely in their head. They're completely run by that should voice. And then other people are just emotionally a ping pong ball, like letting their emotions. And that's extremely black and white. And no one is that. And we all are both, but I think that those are kind of two patterns that can happen. But I think when it comes to being emotionally reactive, the really hard pill that I think people have to swallow is beginning to realize that your emotions are your responsibility and shifting out of that victim mentality and not in this way, don't be a victim, blah, blah, blah. But just this sense of like, life is happening to me and everyone is an asshole and everything, you know, it's that, and F this person and, or I'm weeping on my couch because, you know, the world's falling apart. It's, it's realizing that you are in charge and nothing's going to change externally. No one's going to hold these emotions for you. And then, and I do this in my work by, I give a name to the inner victim. I call it the inner victim. And the inner victim is really just another version of our inner child swung out of balance. It's just the inner child who was never heard. So they get louder and they get more bold and more controlling and more dominating. So really what that is underneath that inner victim or that emotional reactivity, those are just emotions that are not being validated. There's deeper emotional material there that has not been given the time of day. So it's coming out in more and more warped, distorted ways. So I think for that person, it's really about taking the time to sit down with yourself when you feel emotionally reactive and say, I hear you. Tell me more about how you feel. Share more of that anger with me. Like let it out. And you have to be willing to engage in that relationship with yourself where you say, I'm willing to hear you. Like there's nothing wrong with how you feel. I'm not trying to fix you. And let yourself work through those emotions, invent those emotions, write them, speak them, whatever you need to do before you go bring that to someone else. Because there's always a deeper emotional wound at the core of that, that has nothing to do with this other person. Yes, it might require addressing these relationships, but at the core, there's something that's entirely your own there. How do you find that? How do you find what's at the core? Because I definitely know, I know exactly what you're saying, right? Like when we're feeling for me, my default, like emotion is anger. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that before I was really like self-aware that anger was there, but how do you find what's behind it? Like, how do you find what that other emotion is and, and ask sitting with yourself and asking, but I know that at least from my own experience, there's tons of blocks in the way of trying to, trying to get us there to that other emotion that's really trying to speak up. So how do we, how do we let that voice speak? Well, I have so many methodologies for this. I have a whole program called emotional alchemy, but, and there's, there's so many, it's a dance with yourself. There's very subtle energetics in emotional alchemy or shadow alchemy and making, because really what it comes down to is letting that part of you know that it's safe enough to transform. Because if we think about alchemy or integration, it's this process of digestion. And for that process to happen, we have to first be in a safe container, a container which ironically needs to be communicating to that part of you, you don't have to change. 
So, and that's something that's really hard to like, you can't force that. You can't force that, but this just looks like beginning to cultivate a relationship with ourselves where we're not trying to fix ourselves, but we are holding space for that emotion. That being said, with anger, I see anger as the topmost layer of our emotional body. So we have anger, sadness, fear, and shame. So anger is like usually a boundary asking to be set. And I believe that the reason we stay looping on anger, I have a whole podcast episode about this. That's really good, but it's usually because we have shadow, we have shame around whatever the boundary is or the thing we want to ask for, or the thing we need from that other person. We have shame around that. So if you're continuously getting mad at your boss, you know, or you're really, every time you see this one person, you're mad, or maybe every time you walk in your office and it's disorganized, you're angry there's usually something deeper that you are asking for that deeper part of you is asking for space, or maybe you need organization. Maybe you need help from your spouse. Maybe you need um, more notice from your boss, but you're feeling like afraid or embarrassed or something's preventing you from actually moving into motion with that. So it's coming out as anger. There's a deep, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. For sure. Yeah. I definitely didn't real. Well, I guess I kind of realized that those two were connected for me, like the anger. And, um, I think what underlying for me is like validation, like needing validation yes. and, or, um, but really it's like, I guess I didn't link them directly because I realized on this journey too, that I don't actually have to be validated by others if I can validate myself um, and so, yeah, I, it does totally make sense because underneath, like you said, something is just like something that you need and you're asking for like a boundary or yeah. 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 And usually there's like an aligned action that needs to be taken or, you know, I think a lot of the time the words, like it's an energetic, but the words that I'll put to it are just like that was really painful or like this is really annoying or that was really traumatizing. Like there needs to be this deep validation of like, oh, this is really maddening that X, Y, and Z is happening. Like that really hurts. Like this really hurts. You know, that that's like the deepest layer we get to with it because if we can't do that on the deepest level, it just gets louder. It's like a kid who all he wants is a bottle but if you don't stop listening to that, first he's going to start making a fuss. Eventually he's going to scream. And then you're like, what is it? What do you need? You know? Yeah. I love that you use that example of like the smallest child. And it's so clear. It's like so easy to understand because I think at that time, right, we're just existing, you know, and we're just asking for our needs so blatantly. And then we get conditioned not to not to ask for those anymore. Yeah. That's a big one too, I think, is asking for what you need. That's a, That was very, very hard for me to do. Um, but very, like, it's so cathartic and powerful when you say what you need. And then either your partner can say like, or your friend or your whoever you're interacting with can say like, I can provide that for you or I can't provide that for you right now. Yeah, it's like, but asking for it, right? And I think... um 
I see a lot of this in my clients too, is not wanting to ask for what they need and it, wanting the other person to mostly in partners, but wanting the other person to know what they need. And it's like, when you think about it, it's like, how would they know? Like, how mm-hmm. would they even know that? And they're like, oh, well, they just should know. Like they shouldn't see me suffering and understand what I need. And it's like, how, like, how much um, pressure are we putting on the other person and lack of responsibility are we taking with that? And 100%. I think responsibility is a big one too, a big point in this. Yeah. And it's so crazy because like that is literally projecting our caregivers onto our partners. Like that is li- when we are like, oh, they should just know, like, how can they see me upset and not take care of you? Like just those words. It's like, that's literally a wound, right? That that's still seeking for someone to heal the wound for us. And that, that actually has a very, it can have a very off-putting energy to it because as adults, like we kind of know, like we're not responsible for other people's stuff. And when people bring that energy, it can be kind of like, whoa, you know, like you're asking too much, or this is like, a turn off. And I'm not saying that shame anyone because like I do it every single day of my life. And like, we all do it. We will all be in that position. No one is like exempt from that. Both, both of those positions. But I think when we're waiting for them to know, it's about the validation of the need in the first place It's and that's, I see this and hear this so much with people where it's like, Oh, I'm cleaning the house. And I just want him to know that I'm doing all this. And like, that's not about that. That's about the fact that you feel like you have to do everything yourself or it won't get done. And you're still waiting for someone to say like, you're safe and like, you can sit down, you know, relax. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Relax. And it's interesting. You say with even the asking can be so cathartic because in the asking you are saying, even if they say, I can't provide that you're saying, I I'm just simply acknowledging and validating that I have a need. And that is the medicine in and of itself. It's not whether or not they can do it. It's you validating, I have a need and I'm acknowledging it. Like that is so healing to our inner child. Yeah. And I think that can also be like, as I look at it now, I'm like, that can be um, where a lot of toxic relationships perform like, like, sustain really, really well, because you could be asking and then they could just give it to you. Right. And I think that, um, we can all probably relate to a relationship where we've been in like this, where the person, like you ask, right. By doing whatever, maybe not even directly asking, but you just ask by your actions and they give it to you right away. And then it's just, it can be like extremely toxic and, um, keeping score. And yeah, I'm just, I'm reflecting back now because um, I always got angry or upset or whatever it may be. And I'm really like seeking validation, like, and Renee never gave it to me. (laughs) And I think him now at the time I was like, oh my God, like he can never understand. Like he never gets it for years, but he, we were discussing it the other day where he was saying like, remember when you used to like uh, get upset, you would go like cry in the room. And I would like, just like a child, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm just a child. But, um, 
he would be like, you, I just let you stay in there and cry until you like come back out and you're like ready to talk about it. And then some, you know, sometimes it would go on forever where I would be like, no, going back in there and I'm crying because you still don't understand. But he never, like, I'm so thankful, but he never gave into that because that would be the start of like a conditioning too, right? Where I become like uh, used to getting that validation from that action and then continue that cycle. My, my boyfriend is the same, but I'm also curious and like, I'm willing to bet that after you process that thing and you go to him and tell him about it. And I'm like, I've really been struggling with this. And it brought up this thing. I'm sure he's so compassionate and like, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they can receive that because people can't receive, you know, it's triggering people are receiving the nervous system state that we're in, not the words that we're saying. And that's going to trigger something for the other person. And it's not a good, it's not a good back and forth. So I think we have to recognize that our partners are not, no human is responsible for meeting all of our emotional needs and no human can. And that's like a very jarring thing to wake up to at first, but it's so liberating and empowering because we get to be that person. And I like to me and my higher power, you know, God, universe, whatever, we get to be that for myself. <laughs> Sound like a crazy person, <laughs> but <laughs> it's amazing when you, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you have this ability, but when you learn how to start meeting that and being self-sourcing and not, it's not about not relying on others, but it's, you can see the other person so much clearly in relationship and things flow so much better. And then you get to like actually experience things together and you get to hold the space for yourself. And then now we're in this space, Renee and I, where I get to hold space for him, which was never an opportunity that I got to have before because I was always relying on him to hold space for me, even if he would only give, you know, a little because he's trying to like, you know, teach me and show me. Right. But now I'm able to do the same. And it's like, it's such a good feeling. And it's, it takes our relationship to another level where like, then you get to interact and have friendships or partners where you really can support each other in such a beautiful way. And it doesn't have to be about um, you all the time. I'm like thinking about myself and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't have to be about me all the time. You mentioned something else earlier too, that I want to touch on about fixing and how Mm. you actually don't want to come from a place of like, I have to fix myself. Can you like explain that a little bit? Yeah. So I think it's a very common pitfall because when we first start the work on ourselves, we're motivated by something that's usually pain and we want to get out of that pain. And so we really slip into this energy of like, I need to fix myself or I need to, there's a problem. There's something wrong. Alarm bells. I'm in a little bit of that fight or flight just in the way I'm even approaching quote unquote, the work. And we talked before about that endless digging. That's where that endless digging comes from. It's just a projection of that same stressful energy or that trapped anxiety that we were having before it's just now we're looking at spiritual books and we're in that same energy. We have to realize that that energy can transfer onto anything, the inner critic, the ego, our shame. If you're looking at food, it will project onto food. If you're looking at a personal development course, it will project onto that. So that is a tough one because I, I do believe like 
we just come into this work a lot of times from this painful state, but there usually comes a point where I feel like you start to realize that, oh, I don't have to be so urgent with this. Like I don't have to, there's no fire to put out. And that's when I think it's really important to start training ourselves to be in life, you know, to, to not look at ourselves as a, as a problem and to not look at ourselves as a equation or a trauma brain that needs to be like healed, you know, or we get into this endless cycle and that's, that's like a whole other topic. But I think it, the, where this energetic comes in very key is when we're actually in the process of alchemizing an emotion or integrating a shadow because when we bring that energy to, let's say I, you know, I woke up today and I was really triggered about going to work and all through the day, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get this out of my system. Like I gotta figure out what's at the core of this. I'm essentially sending the message to my inner child, change as fast as you can. I'm on a time limit. I'm literally perpetuating the same programming towards my inner child. What's my inner child going to do? Get angry. They're going to dig their heels in. They're going to dig their heels into that emotion and be like, ah, it's like, it's going to escalate, right? It's this like tense relationship where the mom's screaming at the kid to like, get ready for school and like, get your stuff together. And then the kid just gets panicked. So that's where, when we're within our own emotional sphere, working to transform and integrate, we have to really notice the tone. And that's where this energetic of, I notice that you are feeling triggered you can stay like this for as long as you need. Tell me more. Like, I don't need to rush you. You can be as mad and upset as you want for as long as you want. You can be as anxious as you need to be or want to be for as long as there needs to be this energy of like, there is no problem. I'm just here to witness. And I call that the inner masculine. And I teach about that in my program. <laughs> I feel like you have so many names for everything. And I, I love that so much. I love the names because it's, we need a map. You know, I, I love having a map. I love having like a, I like to call it like, it's like a rock climbing wall. It's like this invisible field and you need to know what you're grabbing onto. And I, I just see these like characters. Yeah. It's, it really gives a visual to it and allows you, like you said, to kind of like grab onto them. And I think it's really helpful because when you're especially going first into this work, it's, it sounds so, like you said, like ambiguous and it sounds so big and like you can get really lost in a lot of the wording and everything kind of sounds similar. And also you have no idea at the same time. So I love that you use those terms to really allow you to, like you said, grab it and take a hold of it and like identify what's going on within us. Yeah. And then, you know, oh, my inner child's present. I know that in order to like dissolve my inner child. I really see it as like a video game or like a spell. And I see the the tone that we embody towards ourselves as a spell that can either dissolve it or like cause it to deepen. And so if you know, oh, my inner child is present. I know that what dissolves this is the tone of, I'm not trying to fix you at all. Like tenderness, take up more space, please. You know, or if it's my inner critic, I know that the tone that I need to have is, oh, okay, this is kind of BS, but I need to hear what you have to say in order to get to what this is really about. So spit it out. Like what is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
kind of goes on to like Buddhism. I've been really into reading Buddhism and um, it's interesting. A lot of the concepts are really similar to just um, like very, very simple. And a lot of the stuff that he talks about, um, there's one author that I'm reading right now. So I'll link those for you guys, by the way, um, that he talks about healing the inner child a lot. And he talks about relaxing and like calming yourself and um, just giving love to it and acknowledging it. And that's even like enough mindfulness is the practice, but yeah. Um, go ahead. No, absolutely. I mean, oh my God, it's so simple. Like it's complicated, but it's simple. Cause I really, I talk about this in emotional alchemy, but just the inner masculine as is really presence for me. And that's all we all want. You know, we just want someone to bear witness to our pain and to bear witness to the different parts of ourselves. It's literally so healing, you know, as someone who's attuned, someone who can empathize and just bear witness to you and not attach a story to it and not run from it, be triggered by it, be overwhelmed by it. Like, that's what we want our boyfriends to do. Like, you know, we want them to sit there, rub our back, be like, yes, babe you're so hot when you're angry, like cry, you know, like I will never abandon you. Like, I'm just here to rock you. At least that's what I want. You know? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Um, you talk a lot about this on your podcast. So what is your podcast all about? Tell us about it. Okay. So my podcast is called Field Notes from the Spiritual Journey. And we we do deep dives and all this. So if you're like loving this conversation, I mean, I have episodes on shadow, on different types of shadow, on anger, on different energetics, because this is just a world that I'm fascinated by, but how we can relate to ourselves to create that alchemy, to create that freedom. So there's so many, like there's so many episodes on there for people to listen to and literally get an education in this, in the way I see it, in my framework, et cetera. And then I also have on guests you're going to be on and we, we cover all kinds of things uh, relating to spirituality, personal transformation. And yeah, I also have on clients to tell their journeys, which are like amazing episodes. Cause you get to hear like how someone really worked through anxious attachment or like, you know, specific things that you might resonate with. And you have a degree in this, correct? Yes. So I studied human spirituality and well-being in my undergrad. Um, technically, I studied interdisciplinary studies with a focus on human spirituality and well-being. So I studied psychology, stress psychology, religious studies. I was going to the Buddhist temple and meditating as part of my <laughs> homework. <laughs> um, and yeah, so this is my passion. I've been pursuing it for many years. Yeah. So you are familiar with Buddhism? Yep. Yeah. Practices. Renee and I are like obsessed um, with, I'm going to butcher his name, um, Teach Not. Teach Not Han. Yes. Thank you. Is that the book you were referring to? Yeah. I'm reading, uh, we read, oh yeah. So we were reading The Heart of Buddhist Teachings. And then we're also, I was reading the, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's about it, but it's about inner child healing. And I cannot remember, but it's, it's like a one on. word. Mm -hmm. Okay. Amazing. Obsessed. So 
for people wondering, like, how do I stop trying to fix myself? Thich Nhat Hanh. Look up so Thich Nhat Hanh. So simple. So simple. He is the embodiment of the energetic of loving presence. And the, he will give you word for word phrases in his books of phrases you can say to yourself that will instantly dissolve like that tension and pressure. And I mean, there's so many. Yeah. I love that his, his phrases are very simple. Like his wording, I was not really sure what to expect. We just like started talking about Buddhism with someone else and um, Renee has like a whole Buddha tattoo on his stomach. So we were talking about Buddhism and, um, he was like, uh, I just started looking on Amazon and this guy came up and then I started researching him and he has over a hundred books, I think. And he is like, it's so simple and easy to understand it also easy to translate. So if you're a coach that is wanting to get into like more of the, like, how do I help my clients with this type of stuff? Because it comes up, which is why I started reading a lot of it. It is very easy to translate and explain to a client as well. So I find it like very, very helpful. So I'll link um, the ones that I have. I'll link them in the um, Amazon storefront for you guys. So you guys can look, check those out. But um, such a good recommendation. So good. Like I'm mad it took me this long, but divine timing, I guess. Um, The last thing I want to ask you about is what do you have going on right now? Like, um, what do you have going on as far as like offers? How can people work with you? Okay. So I'm in a bit of a transition right now, but I have my podcast, Fieldings from the Spiritual Journey. And then I have something called The Diaries, which is my Patreon. So in The Diaries, I share additional episodes, personal stories. Like I, le- I like to share blow by blows of how I work through a block that comes up for myself in there. There's episodes like that. There's a couple of meditation, like visualization practices for shadow integration. Um, And then I have a program called Emotional Alchemy that's a total DIY. Like if you're a person that's like, whoa, this speaks to my soul, this resonates. I want the tools. I want the journal prompts, the visualizations, the videos that dive deeper on the inner victim, the inner critic, shadow. That is an amazing resource. So we'll include a link to that. And I might be offering one-on-one sessions right now, or I might not. So go follow me on Instagram at eating Garcia Thaler. <laughs> Are you, um, is your, um, EA, is it a self-led or is it more like a membership come in when you can, or does it have a start date? It's completely self-led. It's completely DIY. So it's videos, written content. There's like bonus audios. So you can enroll whenever, do it at your own pace, and you have it for a long time. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Um, before we leave, I want to do a little, um, it's like fast paced. What am I trying Rapid to Rapid fire. Thank you. God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's because on my last podcast, I didn't do it because it was a little bit different, like how we um, structure or how I talk to her. So I was like, I'm doing away with this. And I guess my brain was like, no more. Um Okay. So we're going to move into the rapid fire so you guys can get to know Eden a little bit better. So first question, what is your favorite food? Mac and cheese. Ooh. Any combo of like carbohydrates and cheese is my favorite food. <laughs> Everyone usually says pizza. So we haven't gotten mac and cheese yet. I love that. Um, where is the best mac and cheese? Oh, homemade or Annie's white cheddar shells. Oh, that's a good one too. That is yeah. a good one. 
Okay. What is your drink of choice? Do you drink alcohol? First of all, I do not drink alcohol. So my drink of choice would either be a sparkling water, a limoncello liqueur to be specific. That's the best one. (laughs) It's the best one. Oh, it's like vanilla and lemon or a chai. I'm always drinking herbal tea, chai, ginger tea, big tea girl. Love it. Okay. So no alcohol. I feel like literally almost every single person I have on this podcast doesn't drink alcohol. I think it's like goes along. It has to go along with the self-growth or like the spiritual journey because it is very rare that someone drinks alcohol on this podcast or they'll say like, I sometimes drink. So um, fascinating. Interesting, right? I'm in good company. I like that. Um, okay. What is your uh, candy that you're going to bring to the movies if you're going to the movies? Oh, a, a sour, a Skittle, mm. a gummy worm. Sour Skittles. Yes. Those are so sour. I would always get sour. I love sour things growing up. I feel like all my answers are reverting to childlike answers because I don't <laughs> do these things, which is sad. And I need to change that. I know. I don't know the last time I've been to the movies, but yeah, that's like a, a good little like, what's your favorite candy? It's more fun than what's your favorite candy. Yeah. Um, did you have AOL Instant Messenger back in yes. the day? What was your screen name? Lives to laugh with it spelled with an L, L I V S. The number two, L-A-F-F. <laughs> L-A-F-F? I know, right? That's I felt one. it weird just to spell it weird. Like, <laughs> What are you currently reading? I'm currently reading, I think it's called Improbable Moments of Grace by Anne Lamott. Lamont. And mm-hmm. I'm like, quote unquote, reading it. Like I haven't read it in like <laughs> at least a week, but I really like it every time I pick it up sometimes it, it it is like that right like sometimes I'm like really in this reading mode and I'm reading like all the time I can't wait to finish a book and then sometimes I have a book and I pick it up once a week and I love it and I don't pick it up again I know I'm week. like I can't tell if I need to stop reading it or push through which is kind of like a metaphorical question for my life so right there's like, me making everything a thing I know I know I'm like I'm not reading books I don't like anymore and then I'm like but I should push through and read this literally <laughs> yeah um what's your best Amazon purchase of this month let me tell you it tell wasn't us. a purchase but it's a gift and it's from Amazon and it's my steam mop Ooh, and she's yes. so beautiful she's chic. she's like white sleek she's gorgeous and I am obsessed because I'm really into like just health and wellness. And I had like a Swiffer wet budget that didn't clean the floor. And this is just the floor. Oh, it's, it's incredible. You can drop a little essential oil in there. It's so mm. satisfying. 10 out of 10 recommend. Like, do I need a steam mop now? You need a steam mop. Like, I don't know what people do for mopping. Cause like, that's, a- <laughs> but like a mop, you know, the old school mops that they would use in like elementary school. In the bucket. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my sister. I'm like, that is a thing of the past. Like, does anyone, <laughs> do people still <laughs> use those? <laughs> I can't bring myself. The bucket, the, the, <laughs> the dunking, the pouring the dunking, out of the water. This, then the water's <laughs> dirty. I don't get that. I'm like, now the water's dirty. I'm going to mop the floor with like, I don't know, but there's two sections in the bucket. I think that's what it is. That's true. Like the professional ones have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But 
in conclusion, we should just all get a steam mop and just all get throw those away. Throw them away. What are you doing with that? <laughs> I really I'll like that answer. your life, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw your steam mop on your Instagram and I was like, it is very chic. It She's is very chic, chic, right? She's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she is for sure. Adulting is being excited about steam mops and yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. I'm going to link everything for Eden down below, anything she has to offer, her podcast, her Instagram, everything will be linked as well as anything we mentioned in the episode will also be linked down below for you guys in the show notes. I want to say thank you so much for coming. You are such a great guest. I literally could talk to you for hours as we Same. already know. So I can't wait for our two upcoming convos. So yes, thanks so for excited. having me. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. And until next week, I'll see you next week. <laughs>